Welcome to the Big Data Beard at Build Conference 2019. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton with the Big Data Beard team, and we are at Microsoft's Build Conference in Seattle, Washington. And I'm joined by my buddy Brett Roberts, and uh, we've got two uh, awesome guests from Microsoft joining us. We've got Mark Hammond and David Carmona. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having Pleasure us. Pleasure to be here. Why don't you do me a favor and introduce yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Do you want me to start? Please, go, go for I it. I can do that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, David Carmona, I'm a general manager in Microsoft AI. So, I do from the strategy all up for Microsoft AI to then things like go-to-market strategy and productization for all up uh, AI. Very cool. And I'm Mark Hammond. I'm the general manager of business AI. I focus on autonomous systems and come to Microsoft, uh, this time at least, by way of the Bonsai acquisition. I also worked at Microsoft in the product teams in the late 90s and okay. in the field as a developer evangelist in the early 2000s. Very cool. So, so Mark, I want to dig in a little bit. That's, or you, you talked about this Bonsai acquisition. Yes. So tell me a little bit about what Bonsai, what you guys were doing at Bonsai. So Bonsai is focused on an area that's tied to autonomous systems. So how do you build intelligence and use AI in contexts where you have uh, systems that need to interact in these complex dynamic environments and, and have intelligent behavior. Uh, we created some techniques called machine teaching, okay. uh, which is a, a natural complement to machine learning uh, that allow subject matter and domain experts to bring their subject their, their expertise into the equation uh, which in these sy systems becomes really important for making them operate the way you want very cool so there was a number of announcements and i think there'll be more this week uh, talking about autonomous systems and what the team from bonsai and other parts of microsoft mm -hmm. are doing mm -hmm. what are the announcements that, that you guys are most excited about maybe i'll start with you uh, so uh, maybe even connecting with what you just said uh, one of the things of the concept that mark was explaining this concept of machine teaching how to empower people to uh, create those autonomous systems is that it was very well connected with Microsoft vision of empowering every developer mm -hmm. and every organization. So that's mm -hmm. how we started together, right? Uh, so there was good alignment there. So what we did yesterday was announcing all the progress that we have been doing in the last year on how that technology is becoming real and available to customers as part of the broader vision in Microsoft of providing those AI capabilities for developers and organizations to build on top of them. Very cool. Mm. Yeah, I see that a lot in the number of the announcements. It's like Microsoft has been using a lot of these tools and techniques internally mm -hmm. for product development to make your products and your business process smarter. And now they're coming to the forefront, right? So talk to me a little bit about some of the autonomous systems things that are that you're excited about in terms of uh, the announcements this week. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, just to be talking about autonomous systems at Microsoft as an area that we're making available yeah, sure. to customers, is it feels really good. Yeah. Uh, and as David was saying, being able to bring this to uh, a new audience, mm -hmm. like it's not just democratizing AI technology. Uh, this is a, a net new group. It's not just software engineers that are going to be part of building these systems. It's mechanical engineers and chemical engineers. All the other engineering disciplines also have a role to play alongside the software engineers and the data scientists. Yeah. Um, so bringing them the technologies they need uh, to build these systems is very exciting. And then just getting to, to show everyone what we've been up to. Yeah. yeah. So I think for the, for the sake of the audience, I want, I want to dig into this idea of machine teaching. Yeah. And you've touched on it a few times. It feels like there's something going on here that's slightly different than like supervised learning that I think everybody just kind of generally understands. Like I've got labeled, you know, well labeled yep. data, yep. and it's maybe a bit of 
unsupervised, but it sounds like there's some reinforcement to it. So yeah. would you do me a favor and just explain what you mean a bit more about, about machine teaching? Yeah, absolutely. So so we do use a fair bit of reinforcement learning, but but there's a, a distinction. As I said, it's a complementary technology to machine learning. It's, it doesn't replace machine learning. Uh, the analogy that I often use is uh, teaching my son, I have a six-year-old son, how to hit a ball. Mm -hmm. Okay, It doesn't matter a lick that I know how the internal workings of my son's brain function in order for me to teach him to hit a ball. Like right. I don't need to know the neuroscience. Right. <laughs> it's critical. If yeah. you don't have it, then he's not going to learn anything. Exactly. Right. That's the machine learning part. Okay. Okay. That's the equivalent of the machine learning part. Okay. It does matter that I know that throwing fastballs at a six-year-old is a really bad idea. <laughs> like just, just, just don't do that. It's yeah, mean, right? Don't, like, yeah. don't, don't do don't that. Don't do your kid that way. No, exactly. <laughs> what, it's intuitive on a, at, like as a, at a, human level, it's intuitive to say, okay, of course, first you're going to put a wiffle ball on a tee, mm -hmm. and then you're going to set the tee to pop the ball in the air, and then you'll throw underhand at close range and so on. That's teaching, yeah. right? That's how you teach something. You need both. Mm -hmm. Both are important. Machine teaching is just a set of tools and technologies that allow you to codify mm -hmm. what to teach and how to teach it. So Interesting. lots of different things there. So breaking things down into the core concepts that matter. So in the case of the this analogy we just used, yeah. uh, you know, the stance you need to have, mm -hmm. the grip you need to have on the bat. Like these are all core concepts that at some point you should be taught. For sure. Right. And uh, then you need to decompose it into lessons that start simpler and get more complex. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you might want to demonstrate something. So let me show you how to do it. Right. All of these are just quick examples of like the kinds of abstractions that you use in machine teaching. And what we've done is turn those into a set of tools that engineers can use mm -hmm. to take that, again, their, their domain expertise and say, okay, well, here's, here's what to teach and how to teach it. Mm -hmm. That's a completely separate activity from how it's learned. And we can bring the two together now and build some really powerful things. It seems like this progression can actually help accelerate how you train a model or how you train it, you know, an AI, whatever it is. Is that one of the, the concepts of that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So if you use reinforcement learning, we, we talked about reinforcement learning, uh, and I want to pick up this bottle of water, right? I have, a, I have a robotic arm, and I want to teach it to pick up the bottle of water. And you use reinforcement learning naively, mm -hmm. it's going to explore everything. That's yeah. what it's designed to do. So it'll be like, you know, flailing over here, doing stuff. Yeah. And if you use machine teaching, you can say, well, this part of state space is useless yeah. no yeah. Yeah. that's the answer isn't there yeah. don't, don't go explore that like it's reasonably you want to be within this re re regime right. and it helps accelerate and guide things for exactly those reasons now that's that's a pretty yeah, so simplistic example but it's no different if you're doing that or if you're working with a complex cnc mill or any any sort of piece of technology so how are people doing this today like so if you think about like before you guys made some of these platforms available, mm -hmm. what are, how are people accomplishing this idea of segmenting, you know, this idea of building a complex AI that's based on multiple kind of machine learning models that are, you know, having to work together, together intelligently. How are people getting there today without this kind of capability? Yeah. So this is, this is, do you want to talk about the, the journey from, from yeah, automated to yeah, autonomous? Yeah. And I think, I mean, you look at, uh, in general, industrial systems or even systems, physical systems in the past 200 years, it all started but manually operated, right? So steam, then electricity, right? And then we move with software on having automated systems, right? But there were systems, as you said, those are systems that are very well planned and following fixed instructions. Mm -hmm. And that that is great for many scenarios, right? So it allowed the third industrial revolution. That is absolutely amazing. But then we're moving into the systems that are powered by AI. And the pendulum is swinging so much that 
we are going in some cases to a place where, for example, we are not able to do things that imply things like long-term planning mm -hmm. or things that are reusing your knowledge as a person. So as a developer, it's very easy to uh, put your knowledge in the system because you are manually coding the whole process for that automated system. As a data scientist, that is not that simple. So the system is learning usually on experiments or data. So machine teaching is a way to bring the best of both worlds if you look at it from that angle. So on one side, you are able to transfer your knowledge, to leverage your knowledge, to teach the machine. But from the other side, it keeps all the wonders of the autonomous systems because it has, for example, it is able to sense the environment and adapt to that environment, to changing conditions in that environment. It's able to plan several steps ahead because you are able to teach those steps, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's able, and, and, and I would say unintended yeah. <laughs> a, a benefit too, is that because the process is thought and structured in concepts and lessons, mm -hmm. it is also explainable, it is transparent. It is very simple to then, even in operations, to understand why the machine is doing something. Because just like the kid, mm -hmm. If you throw the ball and the kid is not able to hit it, mm -hmm. you will be able to either explain to the kid or even the kid himself. Yeah. He could be able to say, hey, you know what? This step is the one that I, I didn't do it correctly, right? right? Same thing can apply to uh, to machines, right? So you can be involved in the process the entire time. Yeah, so it, it feels like this is like the first like really close partnership between machines and experts, like where intelligence meets in AI mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. How is that being used like today internally? Like how, what are you guys using it for in Microsoft land, right? To actually power the things that you're doing. How is machine teaching changing the way you bring products to market? So Microsoft as a platform and technology provider, we're really focused on, can we empower our customers to build create really amazing things using this kind of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, internally, we look at applications uh, that are similar to things our customers are doing actually. So you can look at HVAC as an example. Um, Schneider Electric is a company we work with mm -hmm. on using these techniques and applying them to heating, ventilate, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, HVAC. Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, a, a, actually a, a deceivingly complex problem. It seems like, okay, what, you have an air conditioner, it cools the room, what's the yeah, big deal? Whatever. Well, human comfort matters. For sure. It's super important, of course, that's the primary yeah. reason you have it. Yeah. Uh, but then you wanna also consider energy consumption, mm -hmm. air quality, you don't want the carbon dioxide levels getting too high. Uh, lifetime of the equipment. If you're cycling that compressor motor on and off, mm -hmm. you're gonna shoot out your your yeah. HVAC equipment and then you have to replace it. So you didn't really help yourself. Exactly. So, and you need to do all this in a super dynamic environment. So the weather is changing, the occupancy of the room is changing, the cost of electricity is changing, all this stuff. So being able to take subject matter expertise about how to deal with these things, guide the learning system, which is gonna control this piece of equipment, mm -hmm. and then using it is uh, is an example of, of how this gets deployed. Certainly Microsoft, of course, we have, we have our own buildings and data centers and whatnot, so this applies to Microsoft just as much as it applies to others. Um, but by and for the large part, we're doing this through third parties, right? So it's, it's about enabling folks like Schneider Electric and others to build these systems. Very cool. So how does this help us get closer? Because one of the areas of tech that I think is important is in these complex systems, transfer learning, 
I think is something really cool, right? So if you build a model and it's good at one thing, how do we get it to transfer? Do you see this as an enabler to actually getting models to be more transferable? Yes, absolutely. So one of the benefits of machine teaching is that you get the this explainability level that David was was mm-hmm. talking about. So it, it's not magic. So let, let's start there. It's not magic, okay? If you have a, a neural network underneath the hood, and just like today where you have a, a, a neural network and you want to go to it and say, well, what is the neural network doing? Like, mm-hmm. that's hard. Yeah, uh, People struggle to do that. And there's research that's working towards helping make that more transparent. But but at the end of the day, it's kind of it's kind of a black box. What yeah. is it? It's, what is it doing? Um, ma- machine teaching doesn't magically solve that problem for sure. But it puts a layer on top that is explainable. So it's not that. uh you can say the, the neural network is doing X, but what you can say is because I taught the system mm-hmm. and I taught it these core concepts, I can now explain what's going on in the context of those concepts. So we'll go back to the intuitive analogy. Yeah. So my son, he's learning to hit a ball. He can come back and I can say, well, you, it didn't work so well that time. What do you think went wrong? Yeah. And he can say, oh, my grip didn't feel quite right or whatever. And I, you know, my, my stand, I was a little off balance with my stance or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Okay. He can explain it in those terms because I've taught him those concepts. And that is really empowering, not just for explainability. It's empowering for building trust into the systems. It's it's empowering for being able to reuse the concepts. So you talked about transfer learning. Mm -hmm. Machine teaching, because you teach it those core concepts, those become reusable software blocks just like anything else. So I've I've taught it a concept. Now I want to go use that same concept somewhere else. I I take the code I built for that. I move it into the other application. I can leverage that in in other ways where their concepts are similar. So it gives you this higher level to think about it as opposed to... The analogy I I would draw here is people don't piece together transistors, right? They they have (laughs) like... Verilog and VLSI, and you put those pieces together. Right. You're not gonna, you're not gonna like wire logic that? gates. So why would you do that? Yeah. Same thing. It's the same thing. This is just this is the set of abstractions that allow you to get that reuse and explainability and start to build trust and auditability and all these things into the system. So one of the things you hit on there is this this idea of trust and explainability. Yeah. How how do you think we're gonna approach? I see that as one of our biggest like limiting factors or barriers that we have to overcome, not only as a, as technologists, but I think as a society, in order for organizations to truly adopt AI in meaningful ways, we're going to have to have this level of trust and explainability. How do you think we're going to get there? Like, is it, is it more legislation? Is it more trust in the technology? Like, what do you think of the ways that we're going to, we're going to create this trusted belief that AI is doing something good and useful for us without being a black box? Yeah, so I think uh, the, the the first thing that that I would say in here is that we know what it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be just one company deciding what is the responsible way of uh, mm-hmm. developing AI, right? So even us as as Microsoft, we don't believe that we should be the one saying how everybody should do AI. That's that's the first thing. So definitely connecting to what you say is is a broader conversation, not even among technology uh, companies. Mm-hmm. It's broader than that. Not even across industries is broader than that. It's involving governments, it's involving regulators, uh, communities to have that conversation. Now, as we get there, it is very important and we were very clear from the very beginning as we were addressing, we were started this journey on AI Microsoft, we went out there and we were very transparent that, hey, in, in that meanwhile, 
we these are our principles. So we yeah. communicated externally our six principles. We did that. I mean, we used them from the very beginning. We communicated them like maybe two years and a half, three years ago, yeah. uh, where we say, hey, these are the six principles that we're following internally in Microsoft. And what you are seeing more and more, and this, this event was a good example of that, is that not only we follow those principles internally, with governance processes inside Microsoft, but we also want to help other companies to do the same so they can build that AI that can be trusted by their customers. So for example, just, uh, just this week, we announced as part of our Azure Machine Learning service, mm -hmm. we're including out-of-the-box tools that enables organizations to build responsible AI, in this case, transparent AI, directly into their uh, MLOps process, right? And like that, many others. We just released an AI business school where we have a whole module that is basically explaining companies that are now facing that challenge of, hey, I want to address AI on a responsible banner. I want to make sure that I implement the right processes to avoid bias, to be transparent, to be accountable, yeah. to be private. So all of that, we are at the very least sharing our learnings as we have been going through this journey mm -hmm. so other customers can go through that too. Very cool. So how do people consume these 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 capabilities that you guys have started talking about? Are they part of the cognitive services kind of offerings? What are, how are these autonomous systems and machine teaching capabilities coming to market through Azure or through Microsoft? So we've been working with a select set of customers. I gave you a few examples earlier. Uh, what we were announcing at Build mm -hmm. is a limited preview program. So uh, people can go to uh, just a website, aka.ms slash AS mm -hmm. for autonomous systems. Mm -hmm. um, that'll take you to a landing page where you can learn a lot more about autonomous systems start to dive into uh, scenarios and use cases and whatnot. But there's also this limited preview program okay. uh, where you can describe the kinds of applications you're thinking about building. Yeah. And then we're going to be taking uh, a set of customers through the same process that we've been going through with this uh, with, with these private customers we've been working with already. And so uh, if people are interested, I invite them to go and visit and sign up and really for I, I, we're about empowering people to do stuff. So we, we have to get their hands on the tools and we're, we want to start actively working with more and more people to do so. Very cool. Well, that's one thing that I took away from our time at, at Build has been this alignment. You talked about it earlier that you, the, the team, everybody we've talked to across Microsoft is about how do you bring the power of AI, technologies that developed <laughs> internal, developed through acquisition, right? The experiences, how do we bring those to everyone and make them accessible? And I think that's awesome. Well, thank you both gentlemen for joining us for the Big Data of Your Podcast. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. All right, so David, we'll start with you. What's the what's your latest book you've read that you'd recommend to our listeners? A Loonshot. Amazing book. Do not miss that book. Amazing. I love it. It's about how in big corporations like Microsoft, you yeah. have to keep innovation running. Yeah. And it provides amazing examples of how to do that. Excellent. Yeah. How about you? I'd go with zero to one. Zero, okay. yeah. So zero to one is uh, covering the innovation step for a product where the market doesn't exist mm -hmm. and how how that's different from going from once the market exists to scaling it out and scaling it up. It's, it's a really fascinating, Great. different way of thinking about it. Innovation, I love it. Is there a piece of technology that's currently making your life worse? Oh, wow. I don't, I, I, I you just love technology. Well, that's making I mean, it like I'm, I'm a technologist. This is <laughs> well, mine is going to sound super, super stupid, but 
I don't know how to share the Bluetooth in my car with two different phones. Amen, so when brother. I have my kid coming to the car and he wants to play music, I've been like two days the worst. without without. You have to sing like ten times. Yeah. So yeah. what shows are you binging on right now? Are you binging on any TV oh, shows? Man, I have a six year old, so yeah. it's like like Master Chef Junior and oh, things like that. Cool. Like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> oh, well, that's Get him in the kitchen early. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, myself, boy, I don't know. I think the last one that I've been watching was Viva uh, uh, Theory, the last season. Yeah, that's that was awesome. fun. I, I love it. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Big Data Beard Podcast, and we look forward to hearing more about autonomous systems at Microsoft in later releases when it becomes really broadly public. We'd love to have you back on to chat some more. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify. And be sure to smash that thumbs up button so we can keep the episodes coming. Until next time, keep being awesome.